Our sermon text for this afternoon is Acts 10, 33 to 44. We've been making our way through the book of Acts in a series that we've called To the Ends of the Earth as we look at the ministry and the mission of the church of Jesus Christ. We see that throughout the ages, God's people have been on mission to bring the gospel to their communities, to their nations, all the way to the ends of the earth, so that even on this afternoon, we who have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ may gather together and then participate in the mission that Christ gave the church to do our part in this corner of the world to bring the gospel to this end of the earth. I don't know how many of you have seen the film The Terminal with Tom Hanks. It's a movie that my wife and I have seen a few times. And recently, uh, my wife and daughter were watching that and I joined in with them. It's a great story about an immigrant who gets caught between worlds and ends up living in an airport for quite some time. And the reason he's caught between worlds is because he has become a citizen of nowhere. He's trying to make his way into New York City. He's on a mission. He wants to do one thing to fulfill a promise that he made to his dad. That's all he wants to do. But he can't get out of the airport into New York City because as is explained to him repeatedly by the man in charge of security at the airport, Navorsky, you are simply unacceptable. You are unacceptable. And Navorsky does not know what that means. And he simply repeats the word unacceptable. And he says, yes, you're unacceptable. And he lives this life of an unacceptable man for quite some time. And the the experience of his life is to bump into others who work at the airport who, who are also unacceptables like him. He meets Hispanic people and Asian people and Indian people. And all of these people are unacceptable, unacceptable in the sight of the power structures. From the time I was a kid until today, I've been drawn to stories of the unacceptables. I remember watching those Christmas movies every year. I think they still come on. And I loved when Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer would show up at the island of misfit toys. All of the broken and unacceptable toys. Toy Story picked up on that in Sid's room with all of the makeshift toys and the weird toys that he had put together. They looked very scary. They were not traditional toys at all. And yet they had hearts of gold. I love the movie The Breakfast Club when I was in high school because it took all of these misfits and brought them together. And it showed how they actually did fit together in some way. Many of us enjoy the series The Office for the same reason. It's a bunch of misfits working together. And as quirky and weird as they are, we see ourselves in them and we relate to them and we fall in love with them. All of these characters have something in common. They are unacceptable. They are unacceptable and we find them acceptable because we see ourselves in them. We live in a time that many would consider to be a time of anxiety. It's an anxious time, especially for millennials and the social media generation. 
It's a tough time to be a kid, believe it or not. Despite all of the many comforts in life, despite all of the plenty of food and plenty of shelter and all of those things, younger people find themselves feeling more and more lonely and isolated than previous generations have felt. They find it harder and harder to find their place in the world and a place to fit in. And more and more they are judged by all of the vast array of images held up in front of them. Girls don't meet a certain image. Guys don't have a certain style. They don't match. They don't fit. They don't rise up to the level that has been set in front of their eyes. And they begin to feel unacceptable. They begin to feel unworthy. They begin to feel that they are inadequate And this crushes them on the inside, crushes their hearts, crushes their self-image. There are people around us who don't get into schools or land jobs or advance in their careers or meet the man of their dreams or meet their parents' expectations. They feel like failures. And with every failure that comes their way, they feel more and more unworthy and more and more unacceptable. This happens in religion as well. It happens in the church as well as people feel unacceptable. They don't fit in. They're between worlds. Every religion in the world tells you how you can win God's approval. And what they all have in common is this. They tell you what you must do, what steps you must take, what pillars you must set up, what path you must travel, what teachings you must believe in order to become acceptable in God's sight, whoever that God happens to be. You see this kind of principle at work in your own life. Think of all of the things that you do or don't do just because you are trying to make yourself acceptable to someone else, maybe even to yourself. Or you want to make yourself acceptable to God or to his people. Maybe you want to make yourself acceptable to the pastor. You're so concerned of what other people might think about you. You want to make yourself acceptable and you want to be accepted by others. Now, why do I say all of these things? What does it have to do with bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth and the story we just read in Acts? Well, if you were listening carefully, you find that this word acceptable plays a prominent role in the story. The Apostle Peter has been sent down to meet with a man named Cornelius. And I think Cornelius is someone that we might relate to in some way. Cornelius is a man who is in search of God. He is a man who is trying his best to become acceptable to God. He's doing everything possible to do that. He's described in Acts as a Roman man. He's not a Jewish man. And yet he is a man who is devout, as devout as any Jewish man might be, except for the fact that he refused to let himself get circumcised. So he is considered a God-fearing man, but not quite in. He's not quite out. He's not quite in. He's between worlds. He's a leader in the Roman army. He is in charge of at least a hundred soldiers. The scriptures say that he feared God with all of his heart. He gave alms generously to the people. He prayed continually to God. If you were to compare your life to Cornelius up to this point, how many of you would say, well... 
I've got him beat by a mile. Or how many of you would say, he's got me beat by 10 miles? Could it be said of you that you fear God with all your household and you give generously to the poor and you pray to God continually? He's called a righteous man, a God-fearing man. Everyone spoke well of him. And that's not all. He once even saw a vision of an angel of God come in and speak to him. The angel called him by name. He's known by God. He's known by the angel. And the angel says to him, God has remembered your prayers and your gifts to the poor. They have come up before God like a memorial. And then the angel told him to send for Simon Peter at Joppa in a house down by the sea. Why? Because believe it or not, he was not yet acceptable. In a way he was, but another way he wasn't. We put it like this. He was acceptable, but he was not yet accepted. Now you would think that if anyone was acceptable to God, Cornelius would be. Look at that resume, that spiritual resume. But there's something missing in his life. Something missing in his life. And that's why the angel told him to send for Peter. God wants Cornelius and his household to be saved by the power of the truth of the gospel of peace. Now, I don't believe that the apostle Peter was ever a pope. But I do believe that his sermon to the Gentiles here was truly a Catholic sermon. And by Catholic, I mean it was universal. In this sermon, with the help of the Holy Spirit, Peter preaches the gospel of peace to the Gentiles, to the nations, not just the Jewish people. This sermon kicks the gates of heaven wide open for the whole world. Because in this sermon, Peter himself has been converted to see that the gospel must truly go to the ends of the earth. And not to Jewish people living at the ends of the earth. Not to people like himself living at the ends of the earth. But to all peoples all the way to the ends of the earth. And so Peter is an insider who's sent on mission to tell the story of Jesus to outsiders like Cornelius and his household. Now, with the time remaining, I simply want to do this. I want to open my mouth and let the Holy Spirit take care of the rest, just as Peter did. In other words, I want to echo the gospel story for you here and now. And any among us who might be seeking God and trying to figure out if we're acceptable to God, if we fit in anywhere, where's our place in the world, in the story, I hope and pray that you will see that your story and your life are found in Jesus Christ. On Facebook this afternoon, a friend of mine who is a preacher over in Forney posted this. He said he he cited a hymn. Tell me the story of Jesus. Write on my heart every word. Because without regularly hearing the simple beauty of the gospel, our hearts drift and our love for God grows cold. The temptation for preachers is to bring something deep and profound and new to the people of God to keep them from being bored. 
And sometimes the temptation as you're listening is, I want to hear some new thing that I don't know. But this afternoon, we're going to hear something very old, very familiar, that we all know. And I pray that the Spirit of God will make it fresh and new in your hearing. This is the message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. First things first. We need to understand that God shows no partiality or favoritism. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. I want you to hold that thought because we're going to come back to it later. I want to explain what fearing God and doing what is right means. You hear that and you might think, well, that sounds like every other religion that you just warned us about, Pastor. But I want to show you that it's not as it appears. This is what Peter says. This is the word that God sent to Israel. He's preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. And notice how he highlights this, that he is the Lord of all. He's not the Lord of Jews only. He's not the Lord of Gentiles only. He's not the Lord of Texans only. He's not the Lord of Mexicans only. He's not the Lord of Presbyterians only. He's not the Lord of Baptists only. And on and on we could go. He is the Lord of all. And then Peter says, you yourselves know, you must have heard the news that was going throughout Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And what did he do with that spirit and power? If you go back and read in the Gospels and pay attention to the story of Jesus, you see that Jesus was baptized by a prophet in the Jordan River in obedience to God's word and thus fulfilled righteousness for the people of God. And God the Father spoke from heaven and declared Jesus to be his beloved son and made it clear that he was very proud of him. My beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove and rested on Jesus. And then Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We live in the 21st century and we think, well, a good thing we didn't live in their time because this doesn't happen in our time. But if you've ever been, if you've ever been waylaid by depression or anxiety, if you've ever been waylaid by some uh, sinister dream at night, you might second think, you know, second guess that you might wonder, hey, wait a minute, maybe maybe this devil that was oppressing people then is still trying to get to people now. And Jesus was the one who went about doing good and healing people and rescuing people from the clutches of the devil and from his influence. God was with him in this. He fed thousands with fish and bread and he forgave sins. He healed a man with a withered hand and he cleansed lepers and he healed a woman with a flow of blood. Her menstrual cycle would never end. And yet Jesus came and gave her healing and relief. He even raised a little girl from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. What is he doing here? Casting out evil spirits and unclean demons by the power of the Spirit. What is he doing in all of this? He is doing his dead level best to reverse the curse that had descended upon the world. 
The apostles were witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. In Judea, he invited little children to come to him and to enter the kingdom of God. He called a rich man to follow him, and the rich man turned away. He opened the eyes of a blind man so that the man could see. In Jerusalem, he rode a donkey through a crowd as they cheered, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And at the temple, he drove out money changers and their animals. He debated liberals and conservatives in the house of prayer for all nations. And he overcame all of them. He celebrated Passover and he prayed in the garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but thy will be done. He was delivered over to his religious to religious leaders by a betrayer. By one of his close friends, one of the twelve, and they delivered him over to a political ruler. Jesus was condemned to death to die by crucifixion. But before they crucified him, they made sure to mock him and spit on him and flog him and curse him. And then they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. A wealthy religious leader was kind enough to come and take Jesus' body down from the cross and wash it and wrap it and bury him in a tomb cut out of a rock. And for three days, the world wondered, what in the world is God doing? Where was God on this Good Friday? And on the third day, God raised him from the dead. The scripture says that some of the women who followed Jesus and ministered to Jesus were the ones who went to his tomb early on the third day in that morning after his crucifixion. And when they arrived, the stone was already rolled away from the tomb and the guards were nowhere to be found. And the angels sat in the tomb and announced to the women that Jesus is not here. He is risen. And then God made him appear not to all the people, but to a few who had been chosen by God as witnesses. They ate and drank with Jesus after he rose from the dead. He revealed himself to them. He ate bread and fish with them to show that he was not a ghost, but he was a body soul raised from the dead. He walked along the lake shore with them. He left footprints in the sand and he talked about the mission that he was sending them on. Jesus commanded the apostles to preach to the people and to bear witness that he is the one and only God ordained judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets bear witness to him. Now, I don't want you to lose sight of that phrase that he is the one and only God ordained judge of the living and the dead. And here's why. As you make your way through life and you're trying to figure out, am I acceptable? Do I fit in? Am I worthy? Am I a misfit? Where do I get my worth, my identity? As you live in a world that is constantly judging you and barrage and giving a barrage of criticisms about you, trying to break you down. The thing you need to know is that there is one and only judge to whom you will give an account of your life. And that is Jesus Christ. It's not the pastor, it's not the people around you, it's not the face in the mirror, it's not the voice in your head, it's not the feeling in your heart, it's not the people around you, it's nothing on social media. 
There is one and only God-ordained judge of the living and the dead, and that is Jesus Christ. And if you've put your trust in him, you have nothing to fear of his judgment. You have nothing to fear of his assessment of your life. You have nothing to fear of his evaluation of your soul. If you've put your trust in him when it comes time to judge you, he will judge you as being acceptable, worthy in his sight. What's interesting about the story is that as Peter is preaching these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, just as the Spirit had fallen on the apostles at the beginning. So as I said, Peter simply opens his mouth and he's preaching the gospel of peace. And then the Holy Spirit does the rest of the work. When he had preached long enough, the Holy Spirit interrupted him and said, that's enough, Peter. When Peter realized what had happened, he remembered the word of the Lord and how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he reasoned that if God gave the same gift to the Gentiles that he gave to the apostles and Jews when they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was he that he could stand in God's way? And so Peter called for water and he baptized those who were gathered. It's interesting he uses the word command here. He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. In context of Acts 10, remember, Cornelius was a military man. And this word command is a military term. And when Peter showed up at Cornelius' house, Cornelius, the military man who was in charge of the Italian cohort, said to him, We are all here in the presence of God to hear all you have been commanded by the Lord. It's the same word. And Peter, contextualizing his gospel, preaches the gospel of peace to a man of war. A man of war who said, tell us what God has commanded you, what the Lord has commanded you. And Peter said, he's commanded you to be baptized. He's commanded you to switch armies, to swear allegiance to him, to bow your knee before him. He is the Lord. So what do we see in Acts 10? We see that Jesus is the story. And the story is the sermon. Peter simply opened his mouth and told the story about Jesus and the Holy Spirit took care of the rest. We see the story of how God sent a pastor on mission to tell the story of Jesus to a crowd of God seekers and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the story of how God saved Cornelius and his family, his relatives and his friends with the gospel of peace. I like to imagine that if this had been happening in the 21st century, surely someone in that house would have had their smartphone out on the sly. Peter's preaching and they're down here tweeting out things like God shows no partiality. In every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his names. Those would be highlights of the sermon. Those would be tweetable aspects of the sermon. 
where people to do that kind of thing. But the thing I want you to see is that when Peter was sent to preach the gospel to the household of Cornelius, he went and he preached the story about a person. He did not preach a system of principles. This story centers on the person and work of Jesus, especially the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And this is the story that shapes our life. This is the story by which you will be saved, you and your household, if you receive the gospel of peace by faith. I said to you earlier that every religion in the world teaches people what they must do and how they must do it in order to get right with God. And they each provide a system of works, a system of exercises, a system of things to do in order to get right with whatever God a person desires to get right with. Every religion teaches you how to get from where you are up to where God is, except for one, and that is the Christian religion. The message you just heard is not about how you can get right with God and what you must do to build a ladder to heaven and what you must do to build a tower to reach to the sky. It is a story about what God did to bring himself down, to find you, to rescue you, to gather you up, to tell you how acceptable you are to him. This makes the gospel radical and distinct from all other messages in the world. So look and listen to what God has been doing in Jesus Christ to make you acceptable to him. In this sermon that Peter preached, it was all about Jesus and what Jesus has done and who Jesus is and why he did these things. And notice there's nothing in the sermon in which Peter is saying, this is what you must do. This is we're going to put the burden on you now. This is the gospel of peace. And the gospel of peace is not a system of principles and practices. It is a story about the person of Jesus and the peace that he brings to the world. Peter does not say to Cornelius, this is what you need to do to become acceptable to God. Rather, he tells him, this is what Jesus did to make you acceptable in God's sight. And here's the good news of peace for you and for me today. That everyone who believes in Jesus receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. You hear that? Receives. It's the polar opposite of achieves. Every other religion is telling you what you must achieve to become acceptable. And the Christian faith says in the gospel of peace, this is what Jesus Christ has done to make you acceptable. Receive the free gift of grace and peace that he offers to you. And the word every there, the word everyone there is inclusive, isn't it? All inclusive. Anyone and everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness through his name. Anyone and everyone, including you, including you, including you. Let us pray.
O God, you made us in your own image and redeemed us through Jesus, your Son. Look with compassion on all the world. Take away the arrogance and hatred which infect our hearts. Break down the walls that separate us. Unite us in bonds of love and work through our struggle and confusion to accomplish your purposes on earth, that in your good time all nations and races may serve you in harmony around your heavenly throne. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.